This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and the show this week features my interview with David Dushman, and he's a fantastic author and photographer and educator, and I'm sure you'll want to check that out. I was in Denver last week, did an event for Lumix at Mike's Camera with my buddy Rick Airdy, and we were planning on doing some scouting for a workshop that we're going to do there later in the year. And uh, I basically screwed up my travel plans, and I wanted to share the excellent service that I got from Delta Customer Service. I know you don't hear a lot of that from airline customer service, but I basically scheduled the red-eye flight on Saturday night instead of Sunday night. And I realized that on Saturday morning. So all of a sudden I realized that I'm going to leave a day early and I'm not going to be able to do the scouting for the workshop. And so I was pretty bummed out and figured that it was going to be too expensive to change the trip at the, at the very last minute, like 12 hours in advance. But I called customer service and explained the situation. And the gal, Bobby, um, who I had on the phone, I heard her clicking away on her keyboard and she said, well, I'm going to waive the uh, change fee, and the ticket is an even swap. So I went ahead and booked you on the flight that you wanted, and you're all set. So without me having to cry or beg or anything, she just hooked me up, didn't charge me a nickel, and I was on the flight that I wanted, and I got to go do my scouting trip. So thank you, Bobby, and thank you, Delta Customer Service. Uh, stuff like that makes me glad that, uh, that I fly with you guys so much. So before we start the interview, I want to be sure that you take advantage of the discount that David is offering on his new book called See the World. You just go to craftandvision.com between now and April 1st and use the discount code TWIP25, that's T-W-I-P 25, to get 25% off the regular price. And once you hear David talking about the book, I'm sure you're going to want to go buy it. So here you go. My guest today is David Dushman. David is a prolific photographer, traveler, author, and educator, and he's the man behind craftandvision.com and Photograph Magazine. Welcome, David, and thanks a lot for being on the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks very much. Now, David, you've been an inspiration to me as an educator and an author for quite a while now, and I'm really excited to have you on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I read your latest ebook, See the World, and I really enjoyed it. As an educator, I'm always interested to see how other educators deliver uh, basically the same or similar information that I deliver and, uh, and just kind of see how everything gets worded. And I really appreciate the way that you put things a lot of times. Now, I was recently asked the difference between travel photography and other genres of photography. And my answer was basically the distance you are from your house. <laughs> and I had to laugh when I read the introduction to see the world. And you gave a similar but much more eloquent answer. So what do you think it is about traveling that makes everything in front of our cameras seem so much more interesting? You know, that's uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. It's probably uh, the inability to think about that and answer it coherently that accounts for so much mediocre travel photography out there. Because, you know, as, as I, you know, Steve McCurry has, has talked about this and, you know, the, just because a guy's wearing a turban doesn't make it a great photograph. It just makes it novel. And I think we are so attracted to the new uh, and the different that sometimes that gets in the way of our uh, considering things like composition and choice of moment and light. It's just, oh, my God, it's a guy with a turban. And um, the further away from home we get, more often than not, I think the the more those differences are are the first thing we see. And I think the big challenge of anyone that's going to travel with their cameras is getting 
it, harnessing the marvel of that, oh my God, it's a guy with a turban, but getting past it so that you can find the best expression of that new and that different thing in, in that culture. Right. And I'm sure the guy with the turban that comes to North America has probably got his camera out taking pictures of guys with, you know, jeans and cowboy hats and things like that. You know, that's his definition of travel photography because it's far from what he's used to. Well, it is. I mean, I, in, uh, in Vancouver, we have, uh, you know, we're much closer to, to Asian cultures on the, on the West Coast. And I get a lot of guys, especially the Japanese, who seem very fascinated with kind of the, the, the Canadian frontier uh, the, or the myth of the Canadian frontier. And I'll come down from, you know, from coffee and I have a, a very kitted out jeep with a tent on the top and raised you know it's lifted and big tires and snorkel and it looks very hardcore and i've often come out to you know a crowd of of japanese tourists photographing my my vehicle and when they see me they they want to photograph me with the vehicle and i'm and and it it it's actually been very uh not only very surreal but but a very good reminder that you know just because we're away from uh from home doesn't doesn't mean we throw things like etiquette out because I've treated been both treated very well, but I've also been treated just like kind of like a zoo animal, <laughs> like you know take the guy's picture, chimp through your picture, no eye contact, no hello, and I've had both sides of the experience, and and I I think yeah people come from we're attracted to the thing that's different. It's obviously the thing that drew us to that place in in the in the first place, right. Well, you know, when I was preparing for this interview and looking through some of your work online, I didn't see any photos of Vancouver, where you live. And I realized I don't really have any pictures of the Atlanta area in my portfolio either. Do you ever just go out by yourself or with your friends and shoot around your own neighborhood or uh, your own city sort of to practice your travel photography? Almost never. Uh, I almost always have a camera. There's once in a while. Usually that camera's an iPhone. Uh, there is once in a while that I'll go out and I'll photograph and I'll be happy with the results, but it's usually kind of on the way to having sushi or something, or you know, you come out of a restaurant and the light's really great. And but when I'm at home, I work differently. I'm I'm writing, I'm taking care of my business, and and digging out from the pile of things that accumulate when I'm traveling. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There are people that live all their lives in New York and create bodies, beautiful bodies of work, and could probably go to Paris and and not see anything worth photographing. For me, I, I don't love, I love my hometown. I love everything about it, but I don't visually, it doesn't excite me. Um, the way that being in northern Kenya where I just returned from or being in Japan or something, uh, because I like the differences. It's just a, a challenge to remember that the differences alone don't make it a good photograph. Right. I'd like to read a quote from See the World. Quote, the more I know, or worse, the more I think I know, the more I seem to stop being curious to find answers myself, end quote. Now, that's basically basically your way of saying that you don't over-prepare when you travel and you like to stay open to the experience. But this is really the opposite of the advice that a lot of travel photographers give. And just about every travel photographer that I've interviewed says that research is the most important part of their shooting and their travel. So how do you find a balance between research and staying open to the experience of a new place? 
I usually don't. I, I am not good at balance. I suck at balance. Um, I think this is a, you know, we're always looking as photographers for the secret formula or the magic button. And we're, we're very prone to being prescriptive about things. But it's important to remember that everyone has different goals. Everyone has a different creative process. For me, I've discovered that over-preparation uh, builds into my, my brain far too many expectations about visually what I'm going to see, about what I'm going to experience, and the kind of and this is the, the probably the most destructive, the, the kind of photographs that I'm going to come back with. And in my experience, again, the way that I work, those expectations, the, they make me see the place the way I want to see it. And in doing so, it prevents me from seeing the place the way that it truly is to, to myself. Now, I truly believe that you can't photograph a place uh, – you can only photograph a place as deeply as you experience it. So I go and I travel – in order to experience something first and then make photographs within that experience. There are people uh, that go and they have a shot list that's given to them, for example, by a client or they're writing an article and the, the research is going to be very, very specific uh, ahead of time. I go and experience the place and photograph the place and then I come back because I have the luxury of kind of a being my own client for the most part. My photographs go into my magazine and into other magazines but on a I don't I don't do it because I have an assignment for the most part. I take the photographs then I come back and then I find a publisher. Um and for me, that works better. But if you need to do the research, then do the research. Just be aware of how your creative process works and at what point uh, does that research begin to be too much, you know, too much stuff in your brain. Uh, I, I prefer to have less uh, preconceptions, fewer preconceptions. I, it just is part of my own creative process. Right. And I think that's really good advice. I used to travel and shoot with a guy who would – not only research ahead of time and find um, things that he wanted to shoot, but he would actually find photographs and he would go out and try to replicate those photographs. And I always got the feeling that he, I almost felt bad for him because he wasn't really experiencing a place through his own eyes and his own vision. No, it's a bit of a collector mentality. You know, you got to get that particular photograph. But uh, and again, I, if that's what you're into, I mean, knock yourself out. It's just it, it, those photographs have already been made. So why you would want to make another just like it. Um, it's just a, a poor copy. Let's face it, they're not only already made, they're probably made by better photograph photographers than we are. So, so I would rather go and find, I mean, a great photograph isn't just the Eiffel Tower. It's the Eiffel Tower uh, in, in great light with an unexpected moment from uh, an unusual and unexpected point of view. And there's a lot that goes into it. And you can't predict that. You can't guarantee that, you know, on February 20th, when I show up at 6 a.m., this will happen. You don't know. So I, I would rather go with a very open mind wander, get lost, drink some coffee, have some wine, and, and see what appears in front of me. I find that much more, uh, gr not only gratifying and a deeper experience, but in the end, pragmatically, I get better photographs because I'm not searching for something that may not even be there. I'm just looking. I'm just waiting for the city or the place to reveal itself to me. And I think if we're willing to do that, and that's, I think that's the way that, that great street photographers have done it for a long time. They just wander and they're not looking for an iconic shot. They're just looking for a place or a moment to reveal itself. 
Agreed. I, I like to go out and shoot. You know, I like to go photographing. If I end up with some great shots or something I'm happy with at the end of the day, then that's a bonus. But I just enjoy going out to experience a place and see what happens. Yeah. And, and you know, experiencing it and, and meeting people and I mean, what a shame to come back from a place, you know, like uh, Venice or Paris or Istanbul and to come back and have have all these kind of mediocre photographs, even some good ones, but no actual experience of the place, no memory of the I'd rather come back with all the memories and the stories and two or three really great photographs than to kind of go with a collector mentality and come back with my checklist all complete, you know? Right. Does anyone at the end of their lives look back on their checklist and go, man, I'm sure glad I clicked every box. Well, maybe birders, you know, but maybe, maybe (laughs) I don't even want to speak to that. That's I, that's a, that's, that's a podcast on, you know, bizarre psychology. (laughs) Right. I I can't say much. I have clients that are, that are great clients that are (laughs) birders. So now, David, you visit the same place over and over again. Places like India and Africa are places that you visit frequently. Do you find that returning to the same location allows you to expand your creativity and look beyond sort of the postcard shots? And what do you do differently in a place that you're familiar with versus a place that you haven't visited before? Well, the, uh, there's sort of a, a give and a take. You know, the the benefit of going to an uh, a place you've been many times before is you have a sense of where these moments might happen and when. Uh, not every city moves to the same rhythms as as others. You know, as you change continents and hemispheres, sometimes going out early is when you're going to find the best uh, moments and the best light. Sometimes nothing's happening until 10 o'clock, but you sure better be out there at 9 o'clock in the evening. Um, so on just having a sort of a sense of the rhythm of a place, I don't think you can do that on a uh, 10-day tour of Italy where every day you're in a new place, new place, new place, and then the next year when you have your chance to travel, you go somewhere else, and then you go somewhere else, and and you're only ever in one place for an hour, you know, before you have to move on. Uh, So the, the advantage is knowing a place more deeply, even building relationships with shopkeepers and knowing who's where and uh, people become much more receptive when you're not just a drive-by shooter. Uh, the disadvantage, of course, is that uh, it, you, I th- you know that, that idea that with familiarity comes contempt. Uh, it does take a while to learn once that novelty is worn off to see a place for, for what it's got to offer photographically. Uh, but overall, for me, I have just found that the greatest rewards in I don't want to see every country in the world. I want to find some places that I f- that really resonate with me, that I, I find something worth photographing in and come back time and time again. And then the challenge, of course, is not repeating yourself. You know there's a great shot here at this time at this place. Uh, so you go there and you find it actually there, there isn't – there was a year ago. There was last week. But – this week it's something else, and and so it encourages discovery, and it encourages uh, looking down place, you know, alleys you've never gone down before, and and I like that. For me, the 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 connection between creativity and adventure or travel is uncertainty, and curiosity is the thing that kind of pushes me down through those places. And for me, it generates better photographs rather than just taking things for granted or looking through the lonely planet. And anytime someone says, oh, this is a must see, it, to me, to me it's, a, it's a must go somewhere else. Yeah, in the same way. 
there's 30 other people photographing that place. Now, I may go to that place at an unexpected time of day when all the tourists have gone back for dinner. Uh, then I might show up at that place and see if there's something interesting you know, behind the scenes, something that's going on that involves locals and, and you know, so-called real people. Uh, but I, I prefer to find a place on, on my own terms, you know, kind of, it's like a relationship with a city. I, I like to allow the city to reveal itself to me on its, on its terms rather than, you know, Google Maps and, and the Lonely Planet. But they're, those are great tools. They're just not for me. They're not what I prefer. I like the I like the surprise, and if you show up at the pyramids of uh, uh, in Cairo, at the pyramids of Giza, and you've Google mapped the hell out of it, um, there is no surprise. You know exactly where you're going to go stand, and where the you sun's going to be. Where the sun's going to be, and I like showing up. And at least I, I, I'm under no illusions. I mean, it's it's been visited by millions of people. I'm not the first guy there, but I like to have my own experience of it, uh, rather than something that's been sort of uh, mediated for me by by books and resources and the Thorn Tree Forum and that sort of thing. All of which have their place. I just prefer to find out, discover a place myself. Sure. And you mentioned that in these places that you visit frequently, you know where the good spots are. And that's the benefit for your guests on your workshops is that you can lead them to the to the, uh, you know, high probability areas where they're probably going to get great shots. And at the same time, you can have a new experience because you sort of put those shots behind you already. You already have those shots. So you can help your guests um, sort of get those shots that you've already made while you're at the same time experience the place in a new way. It, it certainly can. I think the danger there for me is that, um, you know, I'm always teaching my, my students that, that there really there's, there is no place that's a great shot because you don't know what the weather is doing. You don't know uh, who is walking through the scene and, and creating some kind of a sense of moment. Or, um, and, and so it's all about possibilities. And the moment I tell people, okay, we're going to go here and this is what you're going to see in photograph, they go there and again, it's, it's about expectation. That's what they expect to see. That's what they expect to photograph. And you get blinders on. You don't see what's going on behind you. Yeah, sure, you may be there to photograph uh, – you know, someone on the Ganges in a boat on the Ganges River at sunrise. Uh, but if that's if you're so set on that, you, you may miss something way better that's going on behind you because you oh I don't I don't want to miss this. Well, I it's no I mean you'd be foolish not to sacrifice a mediocre shot for something really great. So okay, so you don't go home with a a boatman on the Ganges. So if we've, there's a million of those out. Um, so I'm always a little bit leery. It is an advantage. You're right. I mean, knowing the place, but it's more for me, it's about knowing the possibilities. This may be there. It may not, but there may, and there may be something else going on, but let's go and discover that together. Uh, having that pre-scouting, at least I know where the, where the places that I just hate working are. And then I, I don't ever take people back there. <laughs> right. And maybe that's the real benefit is not knowing where to go and get great shots, but knowing the areas to avoid because you're not going to get great shots at all. Sure. I mean, there's places in Venice that I, I just will not go. I will, I'll walk, you know, a kilometer out of my way not to go there because I know it's just going to be I mean, tourists and there's something way better. There's a, if you want to photograph gondolas, I can get you a way better spot where, where there's a much uh, more beautiful expression of, of gondoliering and the shape of those boats and that sort of thing than just going behind the Hard Rock Cafe and watching tourists get into the boats. I mean, it's <laughs> right. just, I'd rather shoot myself. <laughs> right. 
Well, in the book, you talk about your love of wide-angle lenses, and I have that same affinity for the wide-angle shot. But you also talk about simplifying the frame, and that can be a difficult proposition with the wide-angle lens, but you pull it off quite frequently. What are some of the challenges of using a lens that captures so much but telling a simple story at the same time? Uh, well, you, you just said it. it. It captures so much. It, when you put on a 21 millimeter lens or, you know, 16 millimeters on a full frame, uh, <laughs> there's a huge angle of view. The And that's what makes a wide angle lens so difficult is to use it and to simplify. And so there's a couple things. One, the first thing, you just got to be observant. You have to pay attention and watch what's in your frame. Sometimes it's just a shift. Move five feet to the left, five feet to the right rotate the camera a little bit to change what's in the uh, what's in your field of view it, very often it's just getting much closer to the subject and as you get closer to the subject the things that would otherwise compete uh, get much smaller and so yeah they're still in the frame but they're much smaller relative to the subject and and then just waiting for the moment it it's okay to wait five minutes for someone to walk out of the frame or for someone to walk in maybe you don't have a center of interest but you found a great background play with your angles work with it and anticipate that something might happen and get in Uh, but it took me a long time to get very comfortable with wide angle lenses it's why if, if I looked through the history of my photographs, I would see at the very beginning, most of my selected photographs w- were closer to 200 millimeters. And then it was 85 and then it was 50. And now it's, <laughs> now it's as wide as I can go. I, I love that six, between 16 and 21. But it, it is a challenge. And I, I would encourage people just work it. But pay attention. Just pay attention to the frame. Make your POV choices uh, use your depth of field where you can. It can be challenging. I mean, hey, I, even even at 1.8, a 21 millimeter lens, a lot feels in focus. It still has a lot of visual mass. But you can move around. You can wait. For, you shoot into the sun and make everything a silhouette. I mean, there's lots of things that you can do to simplify a scene using a wide angle lens. But I think the trade off is worth it. They bring so much inclusion. They bring so much uh, uh, a sense of of being there which I think people really like. And if you look through magazines like National Geographic or any of these online sites that do a lot of visual storytelling, the wider angles are, are in many cases, not always, much stronger choices for, for telling a story. I totally agree. Uh, and that's a great segue into my last question. And this question is totally for me. Um, I'm afraid it doesn't have anything to do with your new book. But um, you mentioned that your lens choices over the years have gotten wider and wider, and I've sort of forced myself to go the other way. I noticed that a lot of my shots were with the wide angle lens in a particular style, and so I made myself start using a, a 70 to 200 and try to sort of get out of that box. But now lately when I go through my portfolio and look at my favorite photos, they're all in a particular style. But at the same time, it's a style that I've forced myself to basically stop using. And uh, I'm kind of afraid that I've gotten too far away from my style in the interest of sort of changing it up. So I have two questions. Mm. Uh, What do you think the difference is between a style and a creative rut? And then do you ever make yourself stop shooting in a particular way just to change up your process? Yeah, I I do. To answer your second question first, I, I don't know that I try to stop the way that I'm photographing, I, I, but I do like to impose constraints. So on most of my, even my paid assignments, 
I will intentionally do something new, like, for example, shoot only in 16 by 9 aspect ratio or only as a square photograph and give myself some compositional constraints. Um, Occasionally, because I want to travel light, my choice will be a constraint in gear and I'll just say, okay, I'm going to take two range finders uh, with a 21 millimeter and a a 35 millimeter and and that's it. And uh, but do I ever do I ever really try to change my style? Not really, but I don't also don't chase my style. I, style to me is kind of a byproduct. I think the the more that we get comfortable with the things we want to say and the way we want to say them photographically, uh, the style just kind of happens. It's really a question, and this answers your your first question. Uh, am I am I repeating myself? Like, am I am I creating anything new, or as you put it, you know, am I in a groove or am I in a rut? And and I think the groove is really easy to identify because your images feel alive, they feel new, they excite you, they pull you forward. Where as a rut, you just keep repeating yourself. You know, it's the same eighty-five millimeter portrait with the catch light and. It just it becomes when it f- starts to feel formulaic and there's no more challenge and no more risk, right. you know. Like I'm going to try something new. I, I go out uh, with these guys uh, with jeeps and and do some four by fouring. And my favorite thing to hear on the CB radio is, "Hang on a second, guys, I want to try something." <laughs> and you you know that a someone someone in that vehicle is putting on their seatbelt and double checking it, and b it's going to be very expensive if it doesn't <laughs> go well. And and I love that sense of, "Hang on a sec, I'm going to try something." Uh, I know it may not work. But it may lead me to something interesting. When you find yourself not doing that anymore, whether it's with your creative constraints, your gear, uh, your subject matter, um, you're probably in a rut. And the only way to get out of a rut is to power through it, steer hard to the left, steer hard to the right, but make a dramatic change. And that's where I think those changes and constraints can be really helpful. Just go, I'm going to put this lens aside because it's become too comfortable for me. And I'm going to try something else. Or I'm going to photograph in black and white for a while and stop relying on on the color of seduction. I mean, if you go to 500px right now and look at some landscapes, everyone's going with this hyper-saturated stuff. And, and it's very uh, strong foreground element. And there, it can become, and isn't always, it can become a bit of a formula. There's nothing wrong with those photographs. But if you start relying on it and you're not taking any risks, I, I'm not sure where the where the gratification comes from. I'm not sure where the expression comes from. So jumping out of that rut, just steer it hard to the right. Go back to that lens eventually uh, because you're clearly, you like it. But getting out of the rut for a while may freshen things up and give you a new angle on what to do with that lens when you go back to it. Right. And I think that's where I am now is that I'm, I'm realizing that my work that I really enjoy is a particular way, but I'm not necessarily shooting that way lately. So my favorite work is not necessarily my recent work. Mm. And I just need to allow myself to kind of go back to that style and go shoot the way I feel like it. Yeah, and you know, you can do you can do both. Uh, you can pursue your personal projects uh, with as many or as few constraints as possible. Um, and still, when it comes down to the, for example, your, you know, your important client work, uh, do it the way you love and allow the two things, allow the, the, the stuff you're doing, you're playing with and you're experimenting on the side, allow that to filter into your creative work uh, for clients. Uh, I, don't, 
I'm not really a big fan of the, you know, I do one thing or I do the other. I'm kind of a both and guy. Do them both. See what happens. See how they cross pollinate. And and because creativity is about connecting the dots. I don't think being prescriptive is ever really good for most of us. Do it as it feels good. And when it doesn't, it no longer serves you. Uh, It sounds like if you right now you're saying my best work, the stuff I love the most isn't my present work. Um, you know, figure out why that is, but don't don't cut yourself off from possibilities just because you're. Maybe the the rut isn't that all that bad. Maybe it's it's kind of a ruddy groove. You know, maybe it's a hybrid groovy rut. I don't know. Um, but don't you know? Don't cut yourself off when when it may need a tweak, not a, a radical overhaul. Uh, cool. You know. Well, thanks, man. My photo therapy is over, and uh, I really appreciate it. <laughs> And uh, I hate to wrap up the show, but but we've got to at some point. So I'm going to wrap it up with my usual five questions. And the first two are sort of wrapped up into one. So uh, what is your current photo gear setup and how has that changed in the last year? That's a good question. My gear has changed dramatically over the last year. Uh, My two favorite systems now are either my Leica M240, which is just spectacular. I love it in every sense. I love it more than anyone should love a camera. Um, but it has its limitations. It's manual focus. It doesn't work as well in in high ISOs and low light. Uh, so the kind of the companion system to that is the uh, the Fuji system, the X system. So I'm shooting with two X-T1s right now um, and just waiting for an underwater housing that's just come out for the X-T1 so I can use that uh, underwater doing scuba diving. Um, I love both of them. They're lightweight. They're fast. They're responsive. The image quality is great. And I'm able, especially with the Fujis, which are so light, I'm able to, I just came back from Kenya two days ago and did my entire assignment work with two X-T1s and a couple lenses. And it was so refreshing to have such a light uh, kit. And you need to carry a few more batteries. These uh, electronic viewfinders kind of burn through them. But, you know, I with the tiltable LCD screen, it makes life so much easier. They focus quickly enough for my needs. I'm not doing sports or, you know, crazy fast wildlife or anything like that. So I totally love those. And now that, especially with the Fuji, now that you can get a, a sort of 16 to 35 equivalent lens and I can go wide, um, I'm absolutely loving them. And it doesn't have to be Fuji. I mean, Sony's making great stuff, Panasonic, all of these sort of smaller mirrorless systems, I think, Uh, we're going to see more and more people adopting them for the right kind of stuff. I still keep my Nikon gear for wildlife and, and the stuff that, you know, I really need to abuse my gear with, but Fuji, the Fuji and the Leica stuff are kind of getting 90% of my attention right now. Right. It's really cool now that so many people are using cameras that just make them feel good. You know, the image quality on just about anything you would buy today is more than most people need. So we're at a place where, you know, you can just get a camera that you really like. It's so about time. I'm so done with megapixels. You know, I'm just, I, I don't know when big photographs replaced good, compelling, beautiful photographs, but I'm just so done with it. And I think the best thing that can be said about a tool is it, it gets out of the way as quickly as possible. You know, and just allows you to do your thing. For me, that's the either the Leica or the Fujis because they have the manual dials on top. You know, they they they. Uh, I can still use them faster as quickly as my old 35 millimeter cameras, um, which I can't say for most of the current DSLRs with the buttons and dials. And I, I just can't keep track of it. 
Sure. Well, what do you do on the road to make your hotel room or your tent feel like a home away from home? <laughs> I try to spend as little as time in, uh, in them as possible, but uh, I, I usually find that if I uh, if I bring a nice bottle of whiskey from Duty Free and um, you know keep keep lots of photographs of friends and family on my iP- iPhone or iPad, but I don't travel alone a lot. I usually either my partner Cynthia comes with me or uh, my producer Corwin comes with me. Uh, traveling alone, like really truly alone, is not something I do much. So probably keeping friends near nearer to me is the best thing I can do. Nice. Well, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place that you visited lately? I got to, uh, that's hard. I, I was going to say, I got to say Northern Kenya because I just got back. Um, but it's, it's a tie and they're so different. Northern Kenya, because it's so truly off the, I mean, it's, it, you won't see an, another tourist ever. And I, and I have relationships with these nomadic pastoralists and the light is beautiful and there's just something extraordinary about it. Um, I'm just, it, it, before we got online together this morning, I was working through, you know, 10,000 images that I shot over two weeks there. I l- absolutely love the place. Um, but before that, I was in, in Venice for Christmas and there's something about the light in Venice and, and the, it's just a very sensual uh, romantic place. And, and I, I love both of them for very different reasons. Uh, but both of them, the common thing is that I've spent a lot of time there and am able to explore them deeper and deeper each time I go. Right. Well, where are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next? Um, well, I alluded to the fact that I'm doing some scuba diving. Um, I had an accident a couple of years ago where I kind of destroyed my feet. And so things like uh, mountaineering and backpacking, a lot of the outdoor stuff I always wanted to do and loved doing, um, that's kind of gone out the window. And so I've I've been taking uh, a lot of scuba diving courses and certifications. And and so the next stuff I want to do is underwater. I wa- I'm heading to uh, Mexico in August for, for a week of swimming with the whale sharks and photographing them. I've got a week in northern BC photographing in these giant kelp forests uh, with giant octopus and, and hopefully some seals and that sort of thing. So I want to get my cameras underwater. I want to go see something that's, that's a little bit different. Um, and eventually I'd like to be underwater in places like Antarctica and the Canadian North. I think the conversation about global warming and climate change and conservation is going to going to center around the, the poles. And uh, and I kind of like swimming in the cold water. So it's uh, it's real easy to show up at Ven- Venice and photograph gondolas, but there's not a lot of people willing to, you know, chip through the ice and, and go see what's under there. And, and I, I haven't done that yet, but I, I want to try it and I want to see what happens. Yeah, scuba is definitely on my list. Ah, so great. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, David. And to the listeners, David has agreed to give a 25% discount on his latest book, See the World. You just go to craftandvision.com and use the discount code TWIP25 now through April 1st. So, David, where can the listeners find out more about you online? Yeah, you can uh, you can go to my website, daviddusheman.com, and find uh, find my blog and, and resources and my portfolios there. And in terms of the book, See the World, uh, you can find that at craftandvision.com. So those are, and, you know, of course, Instagram. Look for me on Instagram at David Dushman. Got it. Well, thanks again for being on the show, man. I hope to talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Rob. And if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all of your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. Also, check us out on Twitter at your itinerary. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. 
You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.